We are uh, continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark, and uh, so we're going to read quite a bit out of Mark chapter 6 today, Mark 6, verses 7 through 13, and 30 through 44. So, hear the reading of the word. Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, and to put sandals on, but not to wear two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the area. If a place will not welcome you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed many sick people with olive oil and healed them. Then the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. He said to them, come with me privately to an isolated place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and there was no time to eat. So they went away by themselves in a boat to some remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they hurried on foot from all the towns and arrived there ahead of them. As Jesus came ashore, he saw the large crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a a shepherd. So he taught them many things. When it was already late, his disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place, and it is already very late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said, should we go and buy bread for 200 silver coins and give it to them to eat? He said, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he directed them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they reclined in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to his disciples to serve the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up the broken pieces and fish that were left over, 12 baskets full. Now, there were 5,000 men ate the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment, as we breathe you in, I ask that you would speak to us in the silence about your word. Father, may it be that as we consider these stories, that you would do the same thing in us that you did in your 12 disciples, that you would give us your authority, let us go out in your power and really not any of our own, and invite people into your kingdom. And Lord, may it be that as we do that, that people would come maybe even by the thousands, not necessarily to this church, but to you, and that they would be fed and taught and encouraged by you. So Lord, use this word, this 
sermon, this passage of scripture to shape us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so if you're following along in your Bible, you probably noticed a couple things. Number one, you noticed that we skipped the middle part of Mark chapter 6, which tells the story of the death of John the Baptist, and it's kind of squeezed right into this other story that's happening. That story about John the Baptist definitely previews Jesus' death, uh, and, it, and it certainly would be really familiar and sensitive to the first people that Mark was writing the Gospel of Mark for. He was writing it for Roman Christians who were being persecuted and being threatened with death for their faith. So that it would have been really important to them to see that, that John went before them as a forerunner. Besides that, Mark probably included that story here to illustrate the cost of discipleship. Here's the, these guys going out, inviting people to follow Jesus, and John, a, faith, a faithful messenger of the, of the story of repentance, someone who brought the message of repentance in all of his ministry, um, gosh, he was, he was executed for that message during a feast. And that's the other way John's story ties in. Um, he's executed during Herod's feast. Jesus gathers people together and gives them a feast unlike anything they've ever had in their lives. Okay, that's the first thing you may have noticed, that we skipped John the Baptist. The second thing you may have noticed is that we read too much. <laughs> By that I mean like... You know, if you've been a church person for any amount of time, you may have heard a sermon on the sending out of the 12 at some point, or you may have done a Bible study on that. And then another time, you've heard a sermon on the feeding of the 5,000, and, and those, both of those have a lot to say about them. And here we are, we, you know, we don't even have as much time as normal because of the extra stuff today, and we did this. We read both these stories. Did I accidentally do too much? Um, hmm. Okay, so... I'm embarrassed to say that it has never occurred to me until I was studying for this sermon that these two stories are like totally connected, that they're actually a continuation of each other. The sending of the 12 leads to the gathering of the 5,000. And in both Mark and the Gospel of Luke, they're linked. One happens and then the other happens after that. The 5,000 men are responding to the message of the 12 who went out in groups of two. And if you hold the stories together, you can draw some important insights that I, don't, I haven't noticed before on my own. It's helped me understand both of them. So we'll start a little bit with the mission of the 12 and then connect it to the 5,000. So, so t a group of 12 and a group of... 5,000. So just a few comments about the mission of the 12. This is, this is wild. Jesus gathers his guys together. They've been following him around and watching him do things for a while. Um, but now he gathers them together and he's saying, all right, you, you guys go. Go out in groups of two. Here, you're going to cast out demons like you've seen me doing. And you get some oil and you can anoint people with oil and they'll be healed. And you're going out and you're 
proclaiming the message that you've heard me proclaiming. That's being sent by Jesus. That's a that's wild that he does this. So okay, so this has some challenges and some encouragements. All right, um, three challenges, two encouragements. Challenge number one. Being sent by Jesus to spread the news about Jesus is fundamental to following Jesus. Being sent by Jesus to spread the news about Jesus is fundamental to following Jesus. Every follower of Jesus is, will ultimately be called to a mission just like this. It happens at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, this passage where Jesus tells them to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that he commanded them. That's called the Great Commission. A recent survey showed that two-thirds of Christians don't know what the Great Commission is, which is interesting to me. The Great Commission, it's, it's the mission of all of us. We're to go out and share the news. I, I stumbled across this, this quote from a, a an International Missions Council from 1952. Uh, and here's what it says. There is no participation. I think I have the, maybe it's on screen and if it's not, it's okay. Oh yes, it is. You can put that up. There is no participation in Christ without, oh, sorry, Dale. Good, thanks. Without participation in his mission in the world. There is no participation in Christ without participation in his mission in the world. That's what this passage is showing us. These guys are participating in Christ by being sent by him. But church, and I'm talking, I'm talking to myself, maybe especially to myself. I do not see much evidence, and I have limited views, I know, that we are actively and consistently participating in the mission of Jesus like this. I just need to let that sink in for a minute. Jesus assumes that more and more people will hear the news of his kingdom and his coming through you and me. That, that's, that's part and parcel with following him. And sometimes he shares it himself and that still happens. There's stories of people having dreams and visions, you know, especially in the Muslim world where Christians haven't gone in. People are having dreams of Jesus and trying to figure it out. But he calls us to be a part of it. So I don't want to lay on guilt or anything, but I'm just praying, Lord, would you fill us with this authority, this boldness, and send us out? We, we need the boldness. It's scary. It's scary for me. I'm a seminary grad. I've been preaching like all my life. <laughs> and it's scary for me. Um, remember who Mark wrote this gospel to. He wrote it to a group of believers in Rome who were being arrested and killed for following Jesus. So the way it scares us is different than the way it scared them. Like we should acknowledge that. They had very tangible reasons to be scared. We have fewer tangible reasons to be scared, but we have a lot of cultural reasons. Christianity is not really news for most people in our culture, around us, in our society, 
even though they, I mean, they likely think that they know enough about Jesus and about Christians, and they probably don't know as much as they think they do about Christianity. They've certainly made decisions in their life and, and, and in their attitude toward Christians and Christianity based on their exposure to it, whatever that has been. That may have been, that may be like carryover from old evangelistic crusades like Billy Graham. It may be from Ned Flanders. It may be from televangelists. It may be from accidentally, you know, you know, turning on the radio and, and scanning the stations and you're like, they're, you know, a non-believer is like jamming to a song that feels like a cool pop love song and then they realize it's a love song to Jesus and like, whoa, wait, you know, that's, a, that's how a lot of people are exposed to Christianity. You know, they, they may have that one person on their social media feed who's always posting verses, you know, or, the, or, or maybe their exposure to Christianity is because they watched the news about the, the insurrection on Capitol Hill on January 6th, and they saw in the entire crowd posters and t-shirts and signs that were Christian. You know, the world around looked at that event and said, oh, that's, that's a Christian uprising. If it was any other religion with symbols, we all would have thought that about another religion. You know, so they do have exposure to the faith, but sometimes it's a little hard to deal with what they're experiencing. So we need to recognize, on the other hand, that Christianity does still get a lot of airtime. Here's what I noticed in the last week and a half. Uh, on Good Friday, so in my email, I get a daily email from USA Today, from the New York Times, and a few other, you know, just to see kind of what they're saying about the world. You know what they said on Friday morning? The headline of USA Today. Christians all over the world remember Good Friday. It wasn't, there wasn't anything different about it. That was the number one top headline. On USA Today, millions of people read that. Uh, on Easter Sunday, if you turn on the public classical radio station, which I do for my own soothing, you know, all the time, um, it was Easter choral music singing about the resurrection of Jesus all day last Sunday. I mean, there's a lot of it. Christianity still gets a lot of airtime out there. But despite all that, the heart of the Christian message is deeply countercultural. The cultural gospel is look inside yourself for hope, purpose, peace, unique identity, and etc. And and if that doesn't work, and that's you know hard for somebody, then they can join some current that makes them feel. Uh, like they're part of something bigger than themselves. You know, a, a shared interest, a social issue, a need. Many people have settled into a way of life that simply does not consider such ideas uh, like what's out there. You know, until somebody dies that they care about or some major problem comes. The common rules that everyone is expected to abide by are this. People can believe whatever they want as long as it doesn't negatively affect anyone else. And who I am on the inside is the unassailable authority for my life, and you can't threaten or challenge that. Those are the rules in our society, and because of those rules, the Christian message 
challenges people because it breaks both of those rules. If you break those rules, you're oppressing somebody. That, that's the message out there. Okay, great. So we that's my way of saying we acknowledge it's scary. All right, so where do you start? I, I don't think any of us are walking around from town to town like following an itinerary preacher like the 12 disciples. We're not necessarily, it's not like he's saying, hey, we're going, we're going into Inglewood next. So would you guys go ahead of me into Inglewood, you know, and tell some people in Inglewood, you know, the distant and pagan land of Inglewood, would you go and tell them, you know, th that's not necessarily what our situation is like. So, all right, the way we're being sent is different because we're being sent to where we are, so to speak. So my simple question is, what does your circle of influence look like? What do the people in your circle of influence think and believe about Jesus? Every one of you has one. Kayla, you have a circle of influence. Ellie, you have a circle of influence. Stephen, even you have a circle of influence. Yeah, like, what, what's that like? Who's in that influence? Do you know what they think and believe? Okay, that was all the first challenge. That was the longest one, okay? I promise. Second challenge, number two. The mission of the disciples involved authority over unclean spirits and anointing people with oil so they'd be healed miraculously. That's a challenge because what? Like, that's what we're supposed to do? Um, okay, both of those things feel strange, distant, maybe even superstitious. Christians have made so too much of these at some times and too little of these most of the time, all right? But since the kingdom is near in and through us, here, here's the overall picture. We get to show the power of the king, and he wants to show that power through you. That's challenge number two. Challenge number three. The guys aren't supposed to bring anything with them. Americans, this is really hard for us. I am a, I'm an overpacker, all right? I will always bring like three more pairs of underwear than I need for any given trip, all right? That's, that's the deal. I'm an overpacker, and maybe you are too. Um, probably underwear is a bad example uh, in a sermon. Stick to the notes. Okay, so, all right, they're not to bring anything with them. They're to go and be totally dependent on the service of the people that they're being sent to. And that is an interesting way to do things. The, okay, so, all right, bringing strangers into homes isn't culturally normal anymore. It was in the first century. Um, but there is actually research to prove that a relationship is deepened when you need something from your neighbor. All right, borrowing a cup of sugar is a great way to build a relationship with your neighbor. Like, need them. Build, you know, let, if your neighbor's really good at fixing a fence, ask them to help you with your fence or whatever. That is a great way to just start building a relationship and honoring who they are. Okay, those are the challenges. Couple encouragements. Encouragement number one, these guys aren't ready, and that's so encouraging to me. These 12 are not ready. If Jesus is ready and willing to send these 12 out, who won't he send out? These are the same guys who in the future from this will betray and abandon Jesus and deny him on Good Friday. They rarely understand what he's talking about all through the Gospels. They've not yet witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. These guys aren't 
ready. So what about us? You have like 50 translations of the Bible on your phone. You've heard the stories, you've sung great songs, you've felt the love, but okay, uh, that's not the point. I'm not telling you you're ready. You're not either. You're not either. That's the point. Gosh, I just was so moved by this. In a commentary, James Edwards writes this. This is the next quote. No matter how much exegesis, theology, and counseling one has studied, one is never prepared for ministry. A genuine call to ministry always calls us to that for which we are not adequately prepared. It is only the awareness of such that the Christian experiences the presence and promise of Jesus Christ and learns to depend not on human capabilities, but on the one who calls and in the power of the proclamation to authenticate itself. In other words, go when you're not ready. That's when God uses you. We're moving out into a new space. We're not ready to do that. I believe God's going to show off in that process. Encouragement number two. Even though these guys aren't ready, when they go, things happen. Now we're getting to the other side of the story. They come back and they report the good news, the Gospel of Luke. They really report it. Demons were driven out of their command. People were healed of their diseases when they anointed them with oil. Oh, and 5,000 people responded. Like they went out into the towns and there's this giant crowd that's like, oh, great. Come, tell us more about that. That's amazing. And, and, and that's so encouraging to me because they, they didn't really know what they were talking about, but they, come on back in, kids. You can find your parents, okay, for a second. They go out and they don't know what they're talking about. They just say, come back and meet Jesus. He'll tell you the rest. And that's what happens at the end of our story. So this group of 5,000, here's what they responded to. They responded to a message that we don't like. They responded to the message, repent. That's what it tells us that the 12 went out and said to the group, repent. You guys, repent is not a friendly message. It's not a friendly message. If you go out and tell people to repent, here's what we hear. Stop sinning. You've got these sins in your life and you need to not do them and do the not part of that. The opposite. If you're somebody who's consistently distorts the truth, you need to start telling the truth. That's what we hear with the me- when when we hear the word repent. But what did the word repent mean to them? Here's what it meant. It it did not mean to them stop being bad and start being good. It it was shorthand for repent. For the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, you're part of one kingdom and you're being invited into another. They didn't hear stop being bad. They meant cast off the shackles of Roman rule. Be liberated and be free. Join the new kingdom that's taking over, rightly or wrongly, I am convinced, and I could be wrong, that that's what they heard. And that's why 5,000 men come out. We often say, oh, they just didn't count the women and children. But on deeper looking to this, I think men came out because they thought they were rallying an army. They thought that they were going to 
It was a call to arms. Let's go and go to Jerusalem and kick the Romans out. Join the cause. That's why 5,000 men come out. Jesus looked at them and he sees them. It says they were like a sheep, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, in, in the Old Testament, the Israel, when they're going to battle, are called a flock. And Joshua, the general, is a shepherd. They expect Jesus is a new Joshua, Yeshua. That's the same name, actually. So they heard surrender and join the kingdom, and you get to take part in his global takeover. They're excited about that. But then they discover that it won't happen the way they think. Jesus leads them out into the wilderness, and he's teaching them all the way. You see, repentance never stops. First, they think they're repenting from Roman rule, but then they're taught by Jesus. We don't know what he taught. Mark doesn't tell us. But we have so many examples of the kinds of things he taught when crowds gathered trying to make him the king that surely he was teaching things similar to the Sermon on the Mount. They come out ready to fight, and he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. They're like, what? This doesn't sound like a battle cry. They came expecting him to say, you know, let's take over. And instead he says, let's be humble. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Okay. So let's go back to your circle of influence here at the end. It may not be so straightforward for them. We know Jesus never intended to overthrow Rome. Now we've kind of figured that out. Christianity exists in all these other kingdoms. Jesus sets his sights higher. He was overthrowing spiritual darkness, casting out demons. He was overthrowing the reign of sin and death. Your circle of influence is experiencing bondage in all sorts of ways, you guys. And you get to be the one to tell them about freedom, that they can leave those things behind. You get to love them the way he loves them. So he teaches them all day, and his disciples say, gosh, we're, Lord, we got to send these guys home. They're, they're hungry. We don't have enough. And just like when he, it's just like the 12 all over again. He sends out the 12 without anything to be totally dependent. And now the 5,000 are there. And the 12 and the 5,000 are totally dependent. And they gather enough food for like three or four people. And Jesus gives thanks for it, breaks the bread, and feeds 5,000. It's a miracle. They maybe expected that Jesus would be a shepherd like Joshua, who led them in conquest. And instead, Jesus is a shepherd like Moses, who leads them out of Egypt into the wilderness so that they can see the power of God taking care of them and be formed in a new identity. That is God's heart for us, you guys. We're talking about fundraising right now. And yet we are, how perfect that we are being put in this totally vulnerable place because that, according to our Bible, is when God shows off. That's when he gets to show the goodness of God. Through our weakness, he's made strong. When Jesus broke that bread and multiplied it, it was a preview of the Last Supper. And so... We come to the table and we experience a similar feast, no fish, but a similar feast to what they ate there, the 5,000 in that scene. 
So, right, we don't have 5,000 here. That's right. Good commentary. But, you know, maybe next week. So, so church, join in this with me. Is the Father with us? Is Christ among us? Is the Spirit here? This is our God. We are his people. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And together, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. On the same night that he was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same oh yeah. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. We will live together. Amen. Jesus is Lord, and this is the feast of victory. Christ is alive forever. We're one body. Draw near with faith. Amen. And so, church, we're going to come to the middle today. And um, we have uh, these same rules as last week in cups. So if you're here as a family, you can take... Uh, one one roll and, and distribute it amongst your family, or if you need two, that's great, and one cup that you would dip the bread in. If you're here alone, you can gather with someone else in the, in the church and serve one another uh, as you're comfortable in terms of kind of sharing the stuff. So let's pray together, and that I'll invite you as we sing to come to the table. Father, thank you for drawing us to the table. Lord, thank you for being our host and inviting us as your guests. Lord, out in the wilderness, you give us a great feast, manna, spiritual food to nourish us and restore us and remind us of your great sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.